Good morning. Um, the Lord, um, actually go back up a little bit. <laughs> Before the Lord. Um, we've moved into a new home. Uh, we're traveling. And as I discuss things with people about where we are and whatnot, they're always concerned about my travel time. They're always concerned about that 30 minutes of commute that I have in the mornings and the 30 minutes commute back home. And uh, they think I should be sorry I have to do that or sad I have to do that. And in actuality, I'm not. Uh, It gives me a different platform, a different time of day than sitting at the computer, setting things up at work. I now have 30 minutes in my truck going to work to enjoy I listen to praise music sometimes. And at first, I was listening to praise music quite loudly to keep me awake at 4 o'clock in the morning coming to work. But in recent, recent weeks, recent month, uh, the Lord has said, turn the music off. Uh, and you know what? We've had some amazing, interesting, wonderful discussions on the way to work and on the way home. Um, fleshing this out uh, sometimes so many ideas come in when this happens so many things and he said he caught me with one particular spot and then all this other stuff started flowing in and so fleshing it out seemed to be a little daunting thank you Um, we're going to look at some things this morning Uh, I'm going to say that some of them are perceptions and the way I look at perceptions are it may be something that the Lord has revealed in what you're studying or something in the word of God that catches your your attention, catches your spirit and I look at it as some of those perceptions are a glimmer off the gem of what the word of God is and what the rhema word is from the Lord and so it's a glimmer some of these things that we're going to look at, and then some action later. You notice that there's some uh, fun-in-the-sun balls up here. Um, it's not exactly what they're going to be used for unless you define fun the way we're going to reveal. What is, or who, sorry, who is the greatest comedian in the Bible? Hmm. It'd be Samson. He brought the house down. (laughs) And it's interesting that that, uh, we're not going to study Samson this morning, but it's interesting that that event, uh, I'm sure his captors, the Philistines, saw him as defeated. And that's one of the things we're going to address this morning is defeat. And... uh, the end result of Samson was victory because he humbled himself before the Lord, gained full faith again, and pulled the walls down on the enemy and had victory. What we're going to look at this morning is defeat and a term I call e-victories, E-V-I-C-T-O-R-I-E-S. And in the process of our discussions in the morning coming to work, the Lord asked me to be... uh, to be vulnerable. He asked me if I'd be vulnerable. 
And, <coughs> excuse me, and I said, okay, I'll be vulnerable. There are choices that go on in our lives, uh, choices of other people that affect our lives, influence our lives, downright guide our lives. And then there's choices we make, which do the same thing, affect our lives, guide our lives, and just move us in whatever way we want to go. Sometimes choices, and, and the subjects that the Lord gave me to be vulnerable about, he gave me two. He said, I want you to focus on one. One was hatred and how offense can nurture hatred and destroy a life. And I have experienced that. The other was pornography. Um, The effects of pornography in my personal life came not only from my choices. My father was immersed in it from a very young age. And myself, I can, I can remember, the Lord gave me back memories of my past. And I'll ask you a question. What business, what business does a three-year-old have having pornographic dreams? What business does a three-year-old have worrying about what he's envisioning that he would have to hide her behind the bed so mom wouldn't see. That's choices of a father who passed down a generational curse because a three-year-old would have no understanding of what pornography was. Yet at three years old, I was dreaming it. My mom was a nurse, a clinical nurse supervisor in geriatric care, very smart woman, um, wise in her ways, wise in her field, sometimes not wise in her parenting. A 12-year-old Ken came to her with interest in women, pornography, and thinking that asking the question that she would have sensibility, wrong. And I know her thinking was, well, if I can control it, then I can guide it and nurture differently, poor attitudes. But 12-year-old Ken went to her and asked her if he could have some pornographic magazines to have. And she obliged. Reinforcing. Reinforcing the terrible results that media has and that information has on anyone's life. It is not good for anyone. Because of it, because of that influence, because of that effect, because of those images burned into a young mind all the way up to adulthood, I suffered decades of defeat. Decades of defeat in my life. Decades of defeat in my believer's life. I came to know the Lord when I was 15. Still with no avenue, no known avenue 
to deal with what was going on in my head. Decades of defeat that fatally wounded my first marriage because it did not, it did not nurture love. It did not nurture respect. It did not nurture intimacy. It, it, it nurtured objectivity that my wife was just an object to be used, go as far as say abused, and my marriage ended with pornography still in the field. It also created an atrocious model for a human being, myself as a parent, because both my daughters saw me treating my, their mother the way I did. And its effect is still being felt today in the relationship I have with them. There is much assistance. I guess the thing to realize is pornography isn't the only subject that this stuff happens in. Any addiction can have the very same results. It will destroy you. It will affect people around you. It will harm relationships. It will hurt your life. No other result. And there's much assistance from an enemy. In Ephesians chapter 6, a very familiar chapter, we've learned about the armor of God. But he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In Ephesians chapter 2, Verses 1 through 3. He says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. The enemy jumps all over any opportunity to destroy you. He took advantage of my father's obsession that in his spirit passed down to me, and then I, by the nature by the very flesh nature that I had, nurtured it as well. And an unbelieving mother decided to reinforce. This can be done with any addiction, any obsession, anything that hinders you from healthily looking at the situation in your life and the people around you and the relationships you have and growing in it. The enemy takes advantage and he destroys whatever he has advantage to touch. Ephesians chapter 2 continues on in verse 4, and I'm so glad. It goes, But God, who is rich in mercy... 
for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. I am so, in these times in the morning, a lot of time lately he's been helping me reminisce. Reminisce about my life in Christ. Reminisce where we have gone, what we've gone through, and how he's always been there in some way. By grace you're saved. He was there when the crap was happening at my own choices, at the results of my own choices. Thank you, Lord, for your richness in mercy and great love and grace. So, in some of the things that I mull over in these times with the Lord, and some of these have been old. I've been thinking about these things and and studying them and looking them over in Scripture and asking the Lord questions. When did this begin? Or how, excuse me, how and when did this begin? The, The evil influences in our lives that affect mankind, each one of us. Well, this is where one of the perceptions come in. You see, I've had a great interest in Genesis, in creation. And as I mulled it over, and as I discussed things with the Lord and and learned from him, I see in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, outside, and I'll, I'll say this carefully, Outside of sometimes the romantic view we have about creation, the wonderful things that it, and it is, creation was phenomenal, it was awesome. But sometimes we adopt an, a romantic view of it. I believe the very first creation was hell, found in Genesis 1 1 to 5. And if you go there, I won't ask you to, but I will. I'm going to read it. It says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And there is so much out there about creation. In that very first verse, God has just established the foundational physical laws for the universe he's going to create. Time, space, matter, and energy. And this facet, this little glimmer of truth about this part of creation comes out. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. In the second verse, it talks about the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the waters. The Hebrew word for move there has a definition of being brooding. He's brooding over this beginning of creation. There's nothing that happens that God does 
that doesn't have a purpose. So Genesis 1 through 5 has a purpose. It's interesting to realize, as I studied this, that in all the other days of creation, God made a concluding statement and saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the second day, third day, fourth day. But the first day he didn't say that. The only comment of goodness that he made about Genesis 1 through 5 was that the light was good. He saw that the light was good. And that person is. Because that person is Jesus. Because the commentary on that is found in John chapter 1. And you'll, I found it interesting to see the correlation. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Goes on to mention about John the Baptist, and after that it says, regarding John the Baptist, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. I believe, how can you put this? The story, his story, as as I mentioned in one of my other messages, this is his story, Jesus' story, where, where the word history comes from. And his story He's a very good writer. He is. Because there are places where he puts all kinds of detail when necessary. And then there's other places where he does capsule. You know, here's, here's, the, here's the bare facts, or here's the, you know, the, the, the meat, but we're not getting into all the details. And what I found about Genesis was that he gave the introduction to the concept And then as you go through his story, you find the flashbacks about what happened then. And you go further on in his story, and you find the flashbacks about what happened then. A few of those verses are found. One is found in Revelation 12, 7 to 9. And Revelation is another one of those books that is the conclusion of the story, in essence. He, Jesus Christ introduces himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So here it is. Here's the conclusion. I'm revealing myself, and this is how it came to be. And Revelation showed John things that were in the past, things were happening now, things that are happening in, going to happen in the future. In Revelation 12, verses 7 to 9, He says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, 
the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Another verse is 2 Peter 2.4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. So you may ask me, okay, why, why are you mentioning this? Why are you mentioning that the first part of creation would have been hell on the first day? It's because this event, this confrontation between Lucifer and a third of the host of angels and God was de- the, f- the result of it was decided right now. There was no counsel, and what I'm saying is he was cast out immediately. God didn't go look for counsel. He didn't get a committee together to find out and decide what he should do. He did use a tribunal, though, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and said, we're having none of this, and you're out. It is setting up, why I mentioned it is it's setting up a model for how Satan works. Isaiah 14 says that Lucifer decided in his mind that he would be higher than the clouds of heaven and he would be like the Most High, always wanting to usurp himself over what is good and holy and righteous. God had none of it. Cast him out. And in the process of the rest of creation, God wrapped another domain around hell and set another king up to rule it. And Adam, I'm going to share this verse a little bit later as well, but Adam had this potential. Adam had this capability. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, it says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Adam had that capability. He, was, he had the Spirit of God breathed life into him. He had perfect relationship with God yet didn't use the authority he had, yet didn't inquire of the Lord on what to do, didn't submit to his sovereign in his kingly place, and therefore took things onto his own understanding and stepped into sin. The model happened again. Adam was given dominion over all the earth and all the creatures and all of creation. And Satan saw an advantage. God, God gave them a command regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now the other glimmer that I had in this dialogue I had with the Lord over this message was the tree has often been portrayed as a test. And he showed me that it was a symbol or uh, viewer of his transparency. He just created a man in his own image, loved him, gave him 
perfect relationship and said, I don't want you having anything to do with evil. So don't eat of the tree. Because when you eat of the tree, you shall surely die, he says. The thing was, eating of the tree would give the enemy the advantage. Again, Satan trying to usurp himself over the king and take his dominion away. And so he did. Satan approached Adam's wife. Adam took the fruit from his wife, ate of the fruit. Scripture bears out that Eve was, was deceived, beguiled, but it also says that Adam was not deceived. He knew exactly what he was doing. He got the information firsthand from the Lord, whether that means anything or not, but he got information from the Lord firsthand, do not eat of that fruit. And when he did, oh, I asked the Lord to give me an image of the heft of Adam's sin. And he said it was, it was akin to blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know everything about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But that's what he said it was. He says it's akin to it. Adam, in his perfect creation that he was, spirit being with a physical body, the image that God showed me was basically Adam grabbed hold of his spirit and threw it off and put on Satan's. He threw off, Adam threw off his holy heritage given him by God and took on the cursed one, the unholy heritage of Satan. Scripture says that, as Jesus mentioned to many that he uh, dealt with, you're of your father the devil. Uh, you, you lie. You do, you do what he will, what he wills. Um, he was a liar and the father of lies from the beginning. Outside of Christ, what Satan did and what Adam chose to do has provided a hellish heritage for mankind. Romans 5.12 says, By one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. My great-great-great-great-grandfather, Adam, gave me an inheritance that nothing I could do. If if becoming sinful, having a sin nature, had something to do with doing something, and I don't always go by logic, but logically you could do something to fix it. But the heft of Adam's sin, throwing off the Spirit of God, no amount of sacrifice could fix that. No amount of bloody lambs could fix that. No amount of doing 615 commandments can fix that. 
It took only a God who would provide himself to fix that. It doesn't have to be an inheritance of sin, death, and the grave. Nor separation, nor nor lonely separation from God in a place not created for man. Luke chapter 10, this is the verse I just mentioned. We don't have to submit. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we do not have to submit to the hellish curse inheritance of the enemy. Yet many believers do. I did with pornography. I allowed the enemy's camp to settle in my home, in my mind, affecting everyone in it. It doesn't have to be. As I was reminiscing with the Lord on a drive, he, um, he brought to memory Bobby Leonard. Now, Bobby Leonard is a North Carolina preacher, Baptist preacher. And in all points, he was an odd duck for a Baptist. Um, tall man, maybe as tall as Pastor Colin. And there were special meetings. And we had a church pack, probably 200 people. And the pastor of the church, the missionary pastor of the church who started, he was from South Carolina as well. And Bobby Leonard got going. And he was going fighting the devil. And which seemed unusual to us the way he was presenting it. Because usually with the Baptists, and I'll say this carefully too, I only say from my own experience, um, they talk about the power, but they unplug it when you need to use it. Bobby Leonard didn't. Bobby Leonard, this tall man with legs this high, he was running across the front of that stage, just kicking Satan out of the boom, boom, boom. Kicking him out. Kicking him right across. Boom, boom, boom. And Pastor Russell Owens, the other North Carolina preacher, he let out, woo! And 200 Baptist jaws hit the floor. And I, didn't, I wasn't sitting. I was in the back standing. We only had standing room only in the church we were in. And man, I don't know uh, if, if, you, if you know me at all. Some of you know me better than others. I like the odd stuff. And I just smiled because, wow, this is different. I don't think the congregation knew what to do with Bobby Leonard. But man, going out and having a meal with him after and getting to know him. That man had an unusual God connection in the Baptist movement. Holy Spirit filled and encouraging everybody to be the same. So in the reminiscing of that, uh, the Lord said, 
he was enacting the very first thing I willed. And he brought me to the Lord, the disciples' prayer, which is often called the Lord's Prayer. But the disciples' prayer is, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. There's the kingdom again. There's the dominion again. There's the authority again that the believer has. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he said, the very first thing I did in this in the beginning time of planet earth and the universe was I kicked Satan out. I had nothing to do with him in my place. He had no place in my domain. He had no place in my kingdom. So I kicked him out. And that's what we're to be doing. We've learned that the least amount of authority we need to exercise is casting out demons. Yet, in my believer's life, I wasn't taught that. I look back, as I was discussing this with the Lord on the drive, I look back and I said, I didn't know this. I didn't, what would my life have been different had I known it as a 15-year-old kid swamped with pornography, not knowing what to do with it, had I known to start kicking things out on the spiritual level, because I tried so hard on the physical, didn't work. Tried, failed, defeat. Tried, failed, defeat. But had I known my authority, And had I known that kicking him out would not have been a hard job. Ephesians says that the basic resistance is to stand. I'm not moving, Satan. God's put me here. I'm not moving. What does it say about resisting Satan? If I can stand and make him flee, what can I do if I can kick? It's, it's okay, and, and this is where some conservative, religious-spirited believers get caught. They think that everything that portrays violence is wrong and sinful. Well, not when it comes to Satan. I'm not saying you go around down the street kicking your feet up You know, every time a thought comes across your mind and you're putting it under the authority of Christ and you're giving him a good kick, yeah, you do that, other things might happen. Pinocchio might have a nice padded room for you. I'm not saying not do it, though. What I'm saying is we know that our word has the authority against Satan. But you know, sometimes the action kind of reinforces the encouragement. You say it, you do it. So get in your closet, get in your prayer closet and give them a kick. Bobby Leonard was free. 
he had no problem in a 200 congregation, stoic, conservative, Baptist church to go kicking him off stage. So church, are you with me? Uh, Ephesians, again, chapter 6, encourages this. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So I'm going to turn my back on you. I'm hoping you're going to keep it. You're going to have my back? All right. So I'm going to do something Bobby Leonard did because that's what the Lord said to do. He said, I want you to do something similar. As you'll notice, these aren't exactly perfect. They're deflated, won't do much, just like anything Satan tries to put over on you. There's no good results. There's no benefit to anything Satan has put his hand to put his mind to, put his influence to. So this one. Satan, you're on alert. Get out of my borders. Get off my land. Get off my property. And continuing... My town and city is important to me. I live here. I interact here. I meet people here. Moving in this city against the enemy, thinking you have to let him be what he's being, just hinders the progress of the kingdom of God. My town, my city, get out of it. You're out. And we'll go even further. My province and my nation. Let me share something with you before I give him a kick. It was a very timely report from Global. Um, The Satanic Temple wants to set up officialdom. They want to become a national chapter. Their their meeting in Ottawa was designed for them to become official, to have all the benefits of a a religion in Canada. I will share this article if you want. I'm just going to read a couple of excerpts from it. The reporter was speaking with... Nicholas Mark, and Nicholas Mark is leading the chapter in Ottawa. They, lead, they, uh, they don't have a church building yet, but they, um, they meet in a bar called the Coven, and uh, they discuss their manifestos. Many members, including Mark, were raised in devout Catholic households. Once they eschewed those beliefs, 
they found their way to Satanism, and it makes them feel whole. The Satanic Temple, I'll clarify something, the Satanic Temple and the Church of Satan are two different entities. The Satanic Temple tends to believe they are the upgrade. They're the new and moving force against all that is conservative and Christian and Jesus. They believe that the Church of Satan has gotten old and inactive. Mark shares, we have put a moratorium on new chapters because we literally have too much growth right now. Mark told the group. Attendees passed around brochures that described the Satanic Temple's mission as facilitating the communication and motivation of politically aware Satanists, secularists, and advocates for individual liberty. Their literature also clarifies that they do not worship the devil. Deception dominoed upon deception. This next insert kind of didn't really surprise me, but it it just shows uh, the freedom they believe they have now in society to purport what they do. We have a place and a role to play in our community, Mark said. That, <clears throat> that night, a few members volunteered to organize their participation in the Capital Pride Festival Parade and arranged an uh, unbaptism ceremony in August. While members are not required to participate in any rituals, the Ottawa group hosts unbaptisms for people who want to undo the Christian rite imposed on them as children and holds a black mass, which is which on its website described as a celebration of blasphemy, which can be an expression of personal personal liberty and freedom. Gagworthy. The thing is, in the spirit realm, I will come against that. In the political realm, it's a challenge, but I have to support the freedom that they're wanting to have. Because if they want to have that freedom in this country, we have to believe that we have the same. We have the freedom to meet here. We have the freedom to present Bible, Bible concepts and precepts. We have the freedom to minister to people and help people and, and aid in whatever way we can. We have that freedom in Canada because of that. They are looking for the same. The only way we can battle is as Paul mentioned in Ephesians. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against those principalities and those powers. So in my nation, Satan, you're on alert. In my nation, my province and my nation, get out! It doesn't stop there. Satan always looks at attacking foundations. Foundations that in scripture promotes healthy family, healthy upbringing of children, nurturing them in the admonition of the Lord. He wants the families too. He wants our friends. We, have, we had a, a get-together yesterday 
And it was interesting to learn that all of them have a background of placing faith in Jesus, but not living it. They're letting the world do the ruling. They're letting situations do the ruling. So our Ophelianized prayers are so much for them as we learn the stuff about them. We lift them up to the Lord, help them, help them have a revelation that there is something better than how they're living, how they're coping, how they're struggling, the decisions they're making, the wisdom they need to make better decisions, the peace. They, so many of them don't have peace. And strangers. The gentleman I shared about this morning, basically he was a stranger to me. Yet the Lord saw fit to have me open my mouth and encourage him and just let him know that he, he, was, he was caught in being in qualifying for the blessing. And I told him, I said, are you in Christ? You're already there. Is there things that can hinder it? Get in the way? Sure. Let him help you get, out, get that stuff out of the way. So put Satan on alert with our families, our friends, and our strangers. Get out! Amen. Siblings in the Lord, I don't know everything that goes on in your lives. But I know this. There isn't anything that is too far separated from experience that I can't say, I, can, I don't know exactly how you, you're dealing with this or how you're feeling about this or how you're handling this, but this is what I've found in my other situations. Jesus can help. Jesus can give you a way. He's, he's an expert at making ways out. And he's already accomplished them. So siblings in the Lord, get off my brothers and sisters. Get out of their lives. I lift you up to the Lord. Satan, you are out of the way. Gone. Pastors. Counselors. Pillars of faith. I look up to several gentlemen in this congregation to be a pillar in my life. I don't want to see them hindered. I don't want to see them harmed. I don't want to see them discouraged. I want to see them uplifted by my prayers, uplifted by my encouraging words, and I don't want the enemy to have anything to do in their lives. So, Satan, you're on alert. Get out of my pastor's lives. Get out of my counselor's lives and get out of the pillar's lives. And furthermore, every other brother and sister in this congregation, get out. Comes down to dealing with ourselves. This one, self-worth, identity, loving God, self, and others. The enemy doesn't want us to accomplish any of that. 
He does not want you to have self-worth. He does not want you to have an identity that is healthy and whole and strong. And he certainly doesn't want you loving God. And he certainly doesn't want you loving yourself. And forbid, Satan forbid, he doesn't want you loving others. Because that just might show Jesus. So, out. Get off my self-worth. I am a son of the living God through Jesus Christ. My identity is secure. The difference between me and Adam in that vision of being able to pull off the spirit, Scripture says I'm sealed. It's not in my hands. My redemption was not in my hands. I just had to believe it. Confess it. Confess the Lord Jesus. Believe God raised him from the dead. And he took care of the rest. The whole package. Loving God, self, and others comes from him loving us first. So, Satan, get off it all. Out! Mind, soul, body, and spirit. Or sorry, I've got that wrong. Mind, soul, spirit, body. The ground that Satan likes to fight on first and foremost and intently is our mind and secondly our soul. Because oftentimes what convinces our mind, we grab hold with our soul and that becomes our belief. And then we start talking it and speaking it. And that just drops down into the spirit. So he will encourage you. Not every thought that goes through your mind is yours. And every thought that is yours, both types need to be put under the authority of Christ. Get him to check it out. Get him to deal with it so that you can have the wisdom to make the better choice and have the better belief and have the better results from believing. And body, get off my body. By his stripes, we are healed. Is that complicated? And I know I'm being, I'm being crass, sorry. But it's not complicated, and we make it complicated. Because the enemy convinces us that there's got to be something else, or there's, you know, it's got to take more time, and... and and it, this and that and this and that. And it just muddles the whole truth that is, by his stripes we are healed. And Peter even goes so far to say, by his stripes we were healed. So it's a done deal. So get off my body. Get off the infirmities. Get off the injuries. Get off the past injuries. Get off the addictions. Get off the cancer. Get off the diabetes, you name it. There's a plethora of stuff that can happen to the human body and one solution, Jesus. So, Satan, out of my mind, out of my soul, get off my spirit and don't touch my body again. Get out. So there you are.
you yellow, slimy, squirming, cursed piece of... Inside voice. Church, I want you to stand. You're taking the basic stance of resistance. And instead of me saying I, I want you to repeat after me. We, we. who confess the Lord Jesus, And believe God raised him from the dead. The new creation that I am is not filled with the spirit of fear, but of boldness, courage, and intent. I'm not impotent in the ways to glorify Jesus. But I am powerful. I am made by love. And I follow in love. The foundation of my mind is not chaos or strife or confusion. It is founded on the solid rock Jesus, the cornerstone. I am not of the heritage of the cursed. I'm of the heritage of the King of Kings. I'm a child of God. My King sits on the throne. And I'm seated with Him. And His name is above all names. Satan, you can be no higher. Eviction noted. The e-victories evict. Get them out. Seek, Seek wisdom from the Lord. Use the wisdom to appropriate eviction of the enemy from your life. And you will see that when his hindrances are out of the way, the blessings will open up. You're blessed, people, Pastor Colin. Just remain standing for a moment, would you? It's pretty good for a Baptist guy, hey? Isn't that a powerful word? Just bow with me for a moment. This, this requires response. And Ken, I'm going to have you pray in a moment. As Ken was speaking, the Holy Spirit was speaking to every one of us in this place about the areas of our life where we have allowed the enemy in. But need to take the authority and kick him out. So Holy Spirit, right now, I ask that you would begin to make very clear. In the life of every one of us, your children, Father, you want us to be free. And you've reminded us again over and over that you've given us the authority that you gave Adam in the beginning 
the authority that Jesus had when he walked on the earth, the authority that he gave to his disciples when he sent them out. We have the authority to resist and to kick out. I loved when Ken said there are some times where the physical action reminds us of what we do in the unseen realm. We can speak and the enemy flees, no question. But at times to confirm that with a kick was powerful. So right now, just quietly, between you and the Lord, those areas that the Holy Spirit is bringing up where there has been compromise, when he has been allowed to come into our living room, he's been able to do what he should not have been able to do. We've given him, but we can take it back again. Those areas that need to be kicked out. Right now, allow the Holy Spirit to bring it up. With your words quietly, you say it, but with your foot, right where you are, just give a kick. With every one of them, just give a kick and just say, in this area, get out of my life. In the finances, just take a kick. In the area of addiction, just take a kick. Food, you no longer have control, I take a kick. Ken mentioned the power of pornography. All it requires is a kick in Jesus' name. Part of what we set our eyes on in the computer, the television, the gaming, all of it needs is a kick in Jesus' name. A fear that has kept us from sharing our faith and bringing life into the lives of other people. That just needs a kick. Satan, get out of my life. I will no longer be afraid to share the gospel with people. Just give it a kick. Whatever it is. Can I would like you to just pray over us as a body? As a 15-year-old, when that Baptist pastor ran across the stage and kicked and kicked and kicked at the end of that, he prayed a prayer over those people that affected at least one man who's here today. I would like you to pray. Father, Dad, thank you that you leave nothing for us to hinder getting rid of the enemy in our lives. That's right. You've provided everything we need. That's right. In the Son that died for us and lived for us. In the strength that he provides, we can take an affront to the enemy's dealings in our lives. That's right. The convincing that he does. The deception. Lord, help us be clear when it regards deception. Open our eyes. Father, I lift my brothers and sisters here in the Lord up to your courts so that the evidence can be shown in their spirits where they can take authority over the enemy and kick them out. That's right. And know it's done. It's not a half job. It's not a partial job. It's not a maybe job. It's a done job when we employ Jesus Christ's authority in our lives against the enemy's attacks. That's right. 
Father, encourage each heart here, encourage each spirit here to be bigger than the false bravado the enemy has. He's yellow. Help us really know that. Help us really know that the resistance makes him flee. He's terrified. Father, make us fearfully and awesomely made believers, sons and daughters, with all the authority given us to move forward in this life, not letting the enemy hinder anything that you will us to do. Father, I thank you for Bobby Leonard because what he did stuck. That's right. And it came to fruition in these past few years. I pray it comes to quicker fruition now that I've been able to share it. And that other believers will take the advantage they have in Jesus and come against the enemy with full force and violence. Brothers and sisters, you are blessed in the Lord with this wonderful, wonderful capability. Jesus is your strength. Believe it. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Just bow with me for a moment. I want every eye closed in this place. The Lord, there's three things the Lord is calling out right now. One of them is that some of you know that your mouth, your tongue is not under control. You're a believer, but you still swear. You're a believer, but there's still vulgarity comes out of your mouth. You're a believer, but your words are not Christ-like. They are not godly. There are times when it slips out and you go, oh, it's just been that way. Right now, today, the Lord is saying, call it out. The Holy Spirit wants to be Lord of your tongue. You have authority over that little rudder. If that's you right now, with every eye closed, I just want you to raise your hand and go, that's me. Put your hand down, and in the name of Jesus, give a kick to that sucker right now. Satan, get out of my tongue. Ken brought up one that was very powerful, the area of self-worth. The Lord said very clearly, there are some who are struggling with their worth, feeling less than, unworthy. Knowing that your worth is not what the Lord said it is, and you have been battling with a lower level. I don't care if you're one degree lower than what the Lord said. That's an issue of the enemy who is stealing, killing, and destroying. Yes. If that is you, I just want you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. Been battling in worth. Put your hand down and give the enemy a kick and say, get out of my identity. One last one. The Lord's saying that there are some who have been afraid to open their mouth and to share their faith with other people. They've been believers for years. But the fear of man has held them. The fear of man has held you. The Lord is saying today, I'm giving you the authority to kick the enemy out and for you to begin to be a vessel that I can speak through to touch and change the lives of other people. If that's you right now, the fear of man has held you, just raise your hand right now. Just raise it up. Go, that's me. Drop your hand and give him a kick and say, enemy, get out. 
Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would seal what you have done in the life of every one of us in this place. Let them not be forgotten when we walk out this door. Seal inside of us the reality of the authority that we have to kick until our living room is empty, to kick out every unwelcome, unwanted, until our living room is full of peace, full of love, full of joy, full of the fruits of the Spirit alone. Seal it. declare over you today what you already know. The Lord has blessed you. And the Lord is keeping you. The Lord has caused his beautiful face to shine on you and he has been incredibly gracious to you. The Lord has lifted up his countenance upon you and he has packed you full of his peace. I declare that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everybody believing and receiving said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ken. Can we give the Lord a hand for Ken's word this morning? Awesome. Powerful. We'll never forget those beach balls, will we?